I'm here in the studio with Halima. What's up, guys? And we're joined by Simran on StreamYard. Hi, guys. How's it going, guys? I need to show you something and then I need to put it away. What? 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 Oh, nice! Wow. I need to put it away because it's a secret. And now my family follow Mango Masala. And just in case a clip comes up and they're going to be like, Simran. Oh, my God. <laughs> Love to see so it. I'm just going to go. I had to I'm do, just gonna. I had to do a similar when when I got mine. I got mine like like three years ago now, and I told my mum I was gonna get it. By the way, guys, for those of you yeah, who are listening, say, radio, Simran has got a septum pierced. So when I got mine, I remember I told my mum, and she was like, "Don't you dare!" Um, mm. And I, I mean, I did dare, and this was when <laughs> I was at uni, and I actually debuted it at my father's fiftieth birthday party with about a hundred. Oh. With about a hundred family members. But the thing is, they didn't clock for ages. Like, my mum only clocked at the end of the night. And, all, and like, I was just chilling. And all, all of a sudden, she just, like, creeps up to me very slyly. She goes, am I not your mother? Am I not your mother? <laughs> you know, as if to say, like, what I, do you not care about what I say? Am I not your mother? You know, in a typical Desi mum fashion. Yeah. You know, the whole guilt trip thing. And my dad didn't even notice till way, way, way later where he just went, um, go get me, um, uh, what's that? Pliers. I'm going to rip it out. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, he just went, go get yeah. me pliers. And then he was like, I'm not coming to your graduation if you don't take it out. I thought, my guy, great. Don't come. <laughs> wow. Yeah, mine's a secret. I only got it done yesterday. Um, it was a cute story. I was at work and I met this girl and I don't know, we just hit it off and then we were like, I was like, I really want to get my acceptance. And she was like, oh, I want to get mine. I was like, should we just go on our lunch break? Oh I literally God. needed for three hours. We ran in our half an hour break to this like piercing shop. We just got us both done. I love it. Did it hurt? No, my nose hurt way more. Oh my god, mine killed. Mine was probably my most painful. I was gripping the chair because I thought it was going to hurt. And then it was done. And I was like, oh, that was fine. You know what? Proud of you, man. Proud of you. Thank you so much. Thank you. We love a spontaneous body alteration. Yes, we do. As long. <laughs> this is not to say that people should go out and like get tattoos. Like I think septum piercings actually, I think are different. Tattoos, kids, if you're listening, don't go out and get a tattoo like on a whim. Yeah, if That's, your parents have yeah. said no to a tattoo, just listen to yeah. them. If you're under 18, listen. Yeah, like, I, I, I think in general, age, yeah. just, think, just think about because septum and piercing, piercings, you it's can more always reversible. Ta- yeah, you can always take it out, whereas tattoos, <laughs> they're on your skin forever, so just yeah. don't rush into it sort of thing. Uh-huh. That's not to say don't get them, it's just say don't think about rush it. into it. But yeah, I think it's like yeah. a typical guy thing. Like, you know, when you were saying how like, your dad didn't notice? Yeah. Like, literally, Simran, when you showed that, I was literally like, what What am I looking at? <laughs> oh <my laughs> so, like, I'm sorry, like... Come on. It's yeah. true, it's a guy thing. My dad also didn't notice when I went, like, blonde. I went from, like, black hair to, like, blonde hair. That's so funny. And it took him, like, a year to realise. And then when he realised, all he had to say was, are you English? <laughs> uh, are you English for yeah. you to have blonde hair? <laughs> Deary me. But yeah, no, we're all for it. Simran experimenting, getting <laughs> piercings, you do you sort of thing. Thanks, guys. Have you got How a... are we all anyway? I'm all right. Me and congratulations to Halima for her performance on Thursday. If you don't know, hey. Pi Radio had a yeah, COVID vaccine debate, and Halima came. Just Halima came like Thanks. very, thank very, you, very like. Well, came with the thank you to Carlos. <laughs> Has it been recorded? Like, can I watch it back? Yeah, 
bits of it will be getting released soon, so you should. Oh, Helena! Yes, I can just, I can just vision it in my head. Just her, just going off on one. Hi, it was and good. Like, Whoa. It was good. It was good. Carlos did like so much prep. He sent me like so many links and articles yeah. and notes. Like, I think you actually, I, I said to Carlos, like, you've actually done more prep for this than I, for more work for this than I did in my entire masters. Yeah, <laughs> but that is Carlos, our prepared king. Yeah, never can be too prepared. But I think we were, everyone there was saying like you're we kind of expecting it to be a bit of a war. I was very scared. Yeah. If I'm being honest, like, I'm not gonna I, lie. So was I. Yeah. Well, no, I knew I that. All you guys, I I was like watching like the group chat sometimes and thinking, oh, these guys are gonna get eaten alive. Like, yeah. <laughs> well, this is the thing, like. I, I was more scared that they were get, that the opposing side, as in the people who were against the vaccine, I was scared that they were going to come very hard at us. And mm. I was scared that Halima was going to not, not take that. And rightfully so. But at the yeah. same time, I was a bit like, oh my gosh, it's going to be a massacre. But <laughs> it was actually very respectful, respectful on both, from both sides. sides. Yep, and exactly. it was yeah. healthy discussion. Yeah. And I'm glad that happened. And I think one thing that stuck with me was that a lot of people were like, this is the first time that they've actually had a debate about it mm-hmm, which i mm-hmm, think is it mm-hmm. just goes that really like stuck with me i don't know why like i yeah. just thought wow like to think that no one's actually had like okay yeah. these are my reasons why i don't want to take the vaccine these are reasons why i do want to take the vaccine yeah. just to clear things up everyone on this radio show is pro vaccine and yeah. we would strongly strongly recommend that you do go and get it but of mm-hmm. course you got to make your own decisions so yeah go on to NHS website, read up about yeah. it, that sort of thing. And also keep an eye out on Pi Radio socials as well because stuff is going to be coming out to not try and force you to get the vaccine but just educate you on it yeah. so that you can make your own informed decision i think that was the, i think that was like the biggest takeaway for me that the amount of people that were like you know i was on this side but now actually i'm considering this and i'm considering that like mm. um i think i think it really had a really big scope to actually um cause people to like be more self-aware be more critical of the decisions that they thought they were making so mm-hmm. For sure. So yeah, well done everyone, and thank yep. you, Simran. You also attended what was it? The shout out Juice Droplet, I think they're called. Yeah, Sony Network and Juice Droplet Mag, um, South Asian Heritage Month, South Asian Creatives Networking Event, which was super cool. Got to meet some really interesting people. Uh, we got to speak about the work they do at Juice and the work they do at Sony, and we got to get into breakout rooms and like one-on-one, not one-on-one, it was like groups of like four or five and just speak about everyone's talents and what they get up to. So it was really cool meeting some other South Asians and yeah, getting to know what everyone does. And what we ended up speaking about was something that I quite like, I'm feeling very passionate about at the moment is um, having people in spaces where we're not expected to be. And that was one of the main themes that kept coming up that we're groundbreaking at the po- at this point in time. Like we don't think that we are, like even us on radio, people going into music, into different genres, poetry, mm. being a drag queen. Like there's so many different things that we're now being the first in our field to conquer. Yeah. You know, it's a big, it's a big deal. And I think we need to give ourselves some more credit. Yeah. History makers, love to see it. Pat on the back, everyone. Pat on the back. Come on. Where I'm was the... myself, pat myself. <laughs> pat myself, big up me. Anyway. Um... How do I miss you guys? Oh, I'll come back, man. Yeah, this is it. You come no, back. I need to figure out how to come back. She just sends the black moon emoji back. I'm like, that's not good. That's not what does that mean? Anything. What does Simran? that mean? What does it mean? Are you coming? Are you not? 
Yeah, I need to find a way somehow. I need to get to Man- Manny some somehow. I'm gonna have to ask Solomon and listen. Please just pay for my petrol. <laughs> um, I I don't know how that will go down. If I'm being honest with you, but like you can try. You can try. <laughs> yeah. Um, first stuff today. Um, I know we want to speak about Halima. Are you up to date with Love Island? Yes, I am. You are right. Perfect. So let's get in to last night. Um, oh gosh, <laughs> much to unpack. Much to unpack. Unpack. Sorry. Um, can I just say first of all that although I wasn't overly fond of Faye, I think Faye and Teddy were the couple that I was kind of rooting for to win mm. before. Really. This. Yeah, and now obviously you I don't think there's any really coming liked, back. He really liked her. Yeah, for those of you that haven't watched it, obviously if you don't want to know what happened last night, then I'm not saying don't. Maybe just turn the radio down. Don't tune off because we need the. Videos. Yeah, we need the numbers. But, um, but yeah, last night on Love Island, um, obviously they started the night before doing this thing where they showed everyone in the island um random clips of their journey throughout and. Some of the clips were a bit revealing, some weren't, and one couple in particular, Faye and Teddy, were particularly rattled by what they saw, and I think for Faye, they showed clips of her being quite flirtatious with the um, new guys when um, the Castro Moore was happening, um, and for Teddy's side, they showed him, um, this is what, so this is what actually happened, they showed him um, having a kiss with one of the girls in Castro Moore, however, it was her kissing him and it was part of a kiss the guy who you are most attracted to. Yeah. And then they showed a conversation they had afterwards in yep. which he said that there was obvious sexual attraction between the two yep. and that he wouldn't trust um, her if they slept in a bed together. Mm-hmm. Now, judging on that, do we think that the way that Faye reacted to that was okay? okay? So I have some things to say. Mm-hmm. Okay, so obviously Teddy is, he needed to be held to account, I think, because he wasn't completely honest with her. There was more to what he was saying. And I think I understand her sense of betrayal. Um, having said that, I think her reaction was just not measured at all. Um, and it was obviously completely out of, out of proportion she did completely explode however i'm not defending what she did because it was like an onslaught like she was very disrespectful she was very rude um she was just not caring um little secret here i'm gonna get a bit personal guys i am at, i mean so, so clearly she's got some kind of like anger problems right me personally i'm actually in therapy right now for having anger problems <laughs> Interesting. Um, so I could I can speak on this from like a, a different perspective because the way Faye was blowing up, that's how I used to blow up, right? Like I'm I'm a lot better now, obviously. Um, but that's how I used to blow up, and I'm not gonna lie. Sometimes I do find myself blowing up like that as well. And a lot of people don't understand that people with anger problems they and inf- they are first and foremost like victims to their own anger themselves, like. Like for me, like so many people would, I, I I know that so many people would be, you know, when I'm blowing up, I know that so many people would be justified in looking at me and being like, she's 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 crazy, like she's actually crazy. Um, but people don't realize, like within myself, like I I I don't want to be like that. Um, 
and it's hard for me because when you get to that point where you've lost your like you've you've lost your rag you're actually not in control that's the thing like i used to have so many problems with so many people that didn't understand that just because they can control their emotions they expect me to be able to control my emotions if i was able to control my emotions then it would be anger not anger issues you know so and this is i'm just being presumptuous here because i don't know that she does have anger problems but as someone who does, I can recognize it, you know? So I think it's a safe bet to say that she does. And I don't know if she's as self-aware as like I have been in my journey and whether she's aware that she can be problematic and toxic and stuff like that as I have been. But I think there is some extent of it where if we're looking at it from the angle of, okay, this girl has problems, I think perhaps people need to be a tiny bit more compassionate. Having said that, though, she does need to be held to account for the way that she was treating Teddy because that obviously was not, it, it was not on. It was not, it's just so complex. Mm. It's so complex. What do you think, Simran? I just think she said a lot of things that can't be taken back. And I saw a tweet that was like, she's the kind of person to say things in the moment and not realise the gravity of the weight of what she's saying. Wake up, and wake up the next morning and like, think everything's fine or not as bad as it is and that's because she hasn't taken the time to think about what she said but mm-hmm. everyone that's been at the, the back end of what she said mm-hmm. kind of has to feel the brunt of it and they obviously remember like the words that were said and I just think when you are that angry mm-hmm. obviously if it's like an anger issues problem that's completely different but in general when you are that angry you still need to watch the words that are coming out of your mouth because you can't take that back on some when certain things are said and like yeah i mean i'm not justifying it because what teddy did was i think wrong but i don't think it warranted the amount of reaction that Faye gave it no i think she was she was obviously her reaction was bordering on disrespect i mean it wasn't bordering on disrespectful it was it was disrespectful um and you know, Simran, this thing that you're saying that like she's a kind of person who doesn't think about what she says and they wake up the next day and they think it's fine, bro. That's me. That's actually me. Like it's taken me. I'm not gonna lie. Like it's taken me. How old was I? Like 19 when I started to really like um, try and sort myself out. And I'm now 20. I'm nearly 25. It's taken me six years to learn that lesson that I can't just say what I want and and just because I'm like just because I feel like it's fine, the other other person will think it's fine. It's taken me six years. Like it is a very very like someone who's who who struggles with with anger like it is a very very difficult lesson to learn um yeah i don't know i do i do completely resonate with her because that's actually me like and it's been me and it's still me to some extent it's obviously like a process and a journey and like you said you don't know if she's recognized in herself that she might have that problem or she might not be self-aware to the extent that she can identify the problem within herself or find that that it even needs resolving but i think once she comes out the villa, she will get the shock of her life when she sees what people have been saying because she's obviously reacted in the moment of the emotions she's felt, said some horrible things. But obviously, I know I saw something about um, they've got loads of Ofcom replay, uh, complaints just about her. Yeah. Um, and I think people on like socials in general are kicking off, obviously. So I think she'll see what she's done. Obviously, she'll probably watch it back at some point and see the way she acted. And if that doesn't signify the need for her to go and seek her and help, then to be fair, I don't know what will. See, this is the thing where it becomes part of a wider conversation where it's like, why did the producers not intervene? Because when we think back, I don't know if you guys remember like two seasons ago, I think it was 2019. Exactly, Anna and Jordan, great TV. Um, in terms of Jordan going and um, 
like trying to crack on India literally two days after he asked Anna to be his girlfriend. Yeah. However, Anna was obviously very upset and was like proper going in at him. And in the five minutes of that that we saw, she was obviously very angry. And she has since come out and said that they there was way more to it than that. And but the producers had to intervene and tell her to calm down and. If you think about it, that could have been an entire episode in itself. Just like yeah. Faye's um, rant last night was an entire episode in itself. Yeah. And it's just like, why are the producers chosen here to not intervene, to actually, not even to not intervene, to say, we've shot all this and now we're going to make a whole episode where Faye is clearly not all right and is going into Teddy, who is also clearly not all right. Mm-hmm. And I think another thing to be said as well is... Not a bit disappointed in the other girls for maybe yeah. not like be holding her, like being like, okay, trying um, to calm her down, yeah, right? Like, just because yeah, calm down, fair enough. Like, she was on a path of destruction, she was exactly. Like, and this yeah. is the thing that it was, it was hard to watch, it was, it was difficult, it was very, very difficult, it was very, very difficult. And I'm not gonna lie, for me, um, it was low key triggering, like, <laughs> yeah, from a, from a production point of view, I really feel like Love Island picks and chooses, ITV picks and chooses when they want to care about mental health, yeah. and then it's almost like the damage is done it's too late something really bad happens like talking about um mike Velasquez and like caroline black and stuff like in the wake of things like that they need to be more sensitive but i think this year they've really thrown it out the window with um caring about mental health because let's be honest i well in my opinion or I, at least i've seen on social media as well this season has been dry until castor and more this season has been so dry so i feel like any bit of drama they can get now even if it's at the expense of the contestants' mental health, mm-hmm. they're going to air it. They're not going to intervene into big rants and um, people going on a path of destruction, like you said, like Faye, Faye did last night. They're just going to let that air because that's good TV. Well, yeah, good I think TV I think the, the, the producers definitely definitely need to be held to account because they stoked the flames. Um, they knew exactly what they were doing with that challenge. I think they probably could have predicted pre- uh, Faye would have reacted like that or something similar to that because of how she's shown her personality to be already on the show. Um, and then they didn't stand in. Like, they didn't stand in because... And this is where, like, they needed to do their due diligence, right? Because I'm sure they go through... Uh, contestants go through, like, screening processes before they join. Mm-hmm. So, like, I'm sure they must have known that she, I don't know, like, has a kind of problem with her anger or something like that, like, you know. Um, and, and, and even if you didn't, even if she hadn't disclosed it, you can see looking at that, this girl is actually not okay. Like, she is, again, like, people who have anger problems, you will know when you get in that, when you're in that zone, you actually you don't have sense like it's a very out of body experience is how i always describe it like you're not you're not tethered like to 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 this to the earthly realm like you're not you just don't care you're just you're doing whatever you can do to ease what is inside of you which is like this really really like horrible like cloud of just like negativity um so she she was she needed help she needed someone to step in and calm her down um and if it wasn't like the producers like the girls should have said something but they actually just let it play out they let it play out knowing the destruction that it was causing so they really needed to step in because it reminded me of like early 2000s tv like big brother not celebrity a normal big brother it reminded me of like when people would kick off there and you know people would just go absolutely ballistic on each other and it was just because there wasn't obviously proper psychological help um welfare checks or well-being checks in place at the time from a production point of view and then you know it was kind of before every, that mental health was a thing that was cared for in the mainstream media as well 
so it kind of yeah watching it made me feel so uncomfortable and it was distressing to watch so i can't even imagine how distressed Fay or the other contestants in the thing in the villa have felt so i hope they've had proper checks as well yeah. following what's happened probably gonna have to round this off here but i know simmering just as a final comment you also just wanted to say kaz what are you playing at oh yeah kaz, what are you playing at <laughs> okay first of all stop talking in tiktoks and tweets because she just wants like little like memes screen times i know it because that's exactly how like people think now it's all about like who can get the most like memeage out of your like love island experience um and she has played matthew from the start i love matthew matthew's been mugged off from the start she's picked and chosen she's pretty much done what tyler's done back to matthew and not realized it and then she's just like playing the victim and i just don't like it i just don't like the way she's acting it's not respectable i just yeah but the same goes for tyler i'm not just saying link ties up the same goes for tyler as well i feel bad for clarice and matthew because they've just been mugged i think well to be fair i think with oh sorry go on and also Jake can leave. Yeah. Yeah. I think with Matthew though, like he should, I think he's also kind of complicit in his own misfortune No, because like at the recoupling, she literally sat next to him and said, I would not have chosen him if Tyler didn't do what he, if I didn't see the postcard. And Matthew still sat there and like, Went I know. I, felt bad. I did feel bad for him. Like he just literally sat there with his arm around her. I thought, mate. Yeah, but like any like, self-respecting person at that point will be like, no, I deserve more. That I'm better than this. You know. To be fair, when he, he, when he, he did actually Kaz after the postcard, so he knew he 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 got with Kaz to stay in the villa. Exactly. That's what so exactly exactly. So he's not. You know, he is also complicit yeah. in his own misfortune. To be fair, when he did actually break up with Kaz, it, it was, was hilarious. It was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. So, so we're done. We're done. I was <laughs> like go Matthew like yes and he just walked off and I was it was like, quite dignified it was funny but I, you know what it was dignified that is how I I wish to be Matthew that is how I wished I'm a fae yeah. but I want to be a Matthew <laughs> but, but has, has gas not gaslit him but sort of gaslit him afterwards being like he's the most confusing man ever he just told yeah. you the most straight up sentence that's ever been said in this entire series of love he's been the most straight up person and he's walked away it's now that I see it as well, like we need a time where we're all back together, guys. Like we need to like pattern it. Simran. <laughs> all, right. all right. I'm in Nottingham from mid September. Uh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for that. And then so... what? And then what? And then what? Then what? Well, maybe we can pattern it so that you come like here like a few times, like or something. Like, cause it's Let me check drive. drive from New Lot to my account. But the thing is as well, Simon, we could also pattern it so that we do like other content as well. So that you're not just coming here literally just to do radio. We could do other stuff as well. Yeah. And then well, like... Can, well, I need to do your makeup now, Carlos, now you've oh, said it. <gasps> oh my God, yeah. I feel like Indian it, bridal look on Carlos. I feel yes. like if you guys are going to do it, then Mayanka needs to have it go at it as well. Okay, so that's fine. Dream team, dream team. It needs to be a competition. Like, oh my okay. god, we, we did that with my little cousins one time. Like, brothers does my makeup challenge. It's quite funny. Yeah, the thing is, Mayanka's already. Oh, done it's it. a two-hour drive, guys. It's not two-hour. It's one hour. Well, Simon, if you wanted, you can come like the day before and stay at my house, or come like or stay at my house on the day. Oh my god, that's so cute. Yeah, you're welcome. Listen, it's an open invitation. Let me know if you want to. Oh, that's so sweet. Everyone's allowed in my house except for boys. Sorry, I was Carlos. literally about to say, can I come? <laughs> no, my parents are very dissy. No boys. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Mind over, Miss Wallace, sleepover. 
I'm not gonna lie. The main reason I was saying that was because of the food. Like, like. Oh, we'll bring you. We'll send you the food. Good. We'll send okay, you the food. That's all good then. Great. So <laughs> then. Um, gonna have to probably make this quite a quick discussion because we've got a special guest joining us in a bit. However, before that, um, let's just have a little bit of a debate about um Sazi Javid. Why did I say it? Sajid Javid has announced that he wants to raise the minimum age for marriage to 18. Now, mm. currently, the rules are that you can get married at 16 if you have your parents' consent um, and 18 without their consent. Um, he said his reasoning for this is because he says he wants to stop young, vulnerable teenagers being pressured into marrying under cultural slash religious pressures so what do we think mm, about this hmm. i do see the integrity of it um i do see the i do see the value of it because 16 17 is still very very young um and and there are definitely situations where you're like like he like he's mm-hmm. I'd, like uh, i mean i don't want to i i'm very reluctant to agree with him on yeah. even even partially i'm very reluctant to agree with him but i do partially agree with him that there are cases where there are young vulnerable um you know teenagers that are that might be pressured into it or whatever else um however however so obviously like i'm muslim speaking from a muslim like a islamic perspective um a lot of young muslims do tend they they do get married young um and um that is because in in islam like the prophet has said like in islam we believe that there are three things that should never be delayed like the burial of a body once the body has died um prayer when the call to prayer has been given and marriage when the right person has been found so um in islam it does make things a little bit techy because there are cases also where there are young people who they have found like the right person for them and you know they they want to do things the halal way they want to do things the islamic way and just get married straight away to um to to basically rule out committing zina which is like um extramarital like sex and and temptation and stuff like that um so i think that would make it probably difficult for for those people um because that is also a valid thing to do Mm -hmm. i think the thing to realize as well is that the people who because obviously again there's the difference between forced and arranged marriage the people that are um being forced to marry people if you ban if you if you take it up to 18 that's not going to change that all it's going to mean is mm-hmm. that the parents will just wait two years <laughs> or they'll just put them on the plane yeah you know what i mean yeah like, that's true so that's true oh my god yeah i don't think I, and if anything in in the cases of forced marriage that probably make things worse worse for them yeah, yeah. that's true so don't know if it's uh, a they'll just do to be honest like they'll just do it a, a different way you know yeah. like they'll just do like a religious ceremony or they'll do it hidden like a hidden ceremony yeah because like realistically mm-hmm. like you're not i don't think you're married until you actually go like to the town hall thing and sign the it civil here, ceremony it? Yeah. yeah so i was gonna say you could have like a nikkar done or an ankara yeah. done or something you could do the religious side exactly. of it and then technically and uh, correct me if i'm wrong Hanima, but then it would be a halal way yeah. to get married yeah yeah, yeah despite yeah. your age yeah, but I don't know actually. So I'm not sure because obviously, so in the UK we have the Sharia Council, which is like the um, the Islamic government kind of basically just just to dumb it down for people who aren't aware of what it is. Um, Sharia is like Islamic law, 
Um, so the Sharia Council work with like the British law as well. So they have to do because in Islam in the Quran it says that we have to follow the land of the law. So whatever land that you find yourself in, you have to follow the land of the law of that land. Um, I said land of the law. I meant to say law of the land. <laughs> um, so I don't know. I think the Sharia Council might be working with like the British government to also abide by British government rules. So it might also be a case now where a Sharia Council won't do an Islamic nikah if it's not abiding by british government rule i'm not sure but i think that that could potentially be the case mm. so techy very techy i think in general over um here like the whole you have to be this age to do this that age to do yeah. that it is very techy in itself because it i think i remember people used to say oh yeah you can join the army at 16 but you couldn't buy cod until you were 18 you know what I mean? It's just it's it seems almost arbitrary, yeah. right? Like it's it weird. seems almost arbitrary, definitely. I think I think obviously the reason why they've done made this law is as they've cited to to prevent young vulnerable people from being coerced into marriage. So if we've identified that as the problem, is is increasing the age a, a genuine and effective preventative measure? No, it is. We see this all the time with like forced marriage and topics mm. like where there's cultural differences the way that they deal with it is by basically trying to come down on it hard and like saying you can't do that and obviously that's not going to work because there are the people that are doing this believe they're doing it for very valid reasons reasons. exactly so obviously they're not going to listen to you and say this is even though it is the law of the land they're Mm. not going to listen to people aren't going yeah yeah that's true if they're doing it in the first place they don't care they don't care about what the government says because they believe they're right um so yeah maybe in terms of like combating what they said they're trying to combat maybe it's not too effective like more needs to be done or different things need to be done Mm. probably so do you guys think that if um someone does find the right person at the age of 16 etc yeah um do you think that they should be able to marry at 16 then um yeah, man, I think it's all about agency. Like, it's, 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 I don't know. I feel like there's difference between, like, I know it's only two years, but I do feel like there's a big difference between, like, 16 and 18. Mm. Like, even, and even, like, 16, 17 and 18, those three ages, I do feel like, 16, I feel like you're still relatively young, still relatively, you know, a kid. At 17, I feel like already your, your worldview is a bit more mature. Like, I don't know. That's how I, that's how I felt when I was growing up. Um, and then by 18 yeah definitely it's a bit it's it's a lot more different compared to when you're 16 um i think the law that they have now so 16 with parents consent i think is is is, is yeah. a, it's a good law yeah and then 18 is obviously you're an adult you can do what you want but then it is weird though because technically you can live by yourself when you're 16 they're just not streamlined are yeah, they yeah exactly the laws. It's, it's nothing <laughs> is like it doesn't make any sense they're very arbitrary that's but, true yeah, we're probably going to have to round off this discussion now. Um, but just before we bid you farewell, Simran, for a few weeks, because you've got your stepbrother's wedding. Oh, I'm so jealous. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's stressful, but it's exciting. No, but it's all Thursday. Outfits are getting fitted in the week. Oh, my God. I can't wait to see your fits, man. I'm going to live vicariously through this Instagram, wedding. Please put everything yeah. on, on Insta. <laughs> Please let us see everything. <laughs> but yeah it's nice to have that kind of vibe back like i've seen people go to weddings um like in the last couple of months and it's been so cool to see mm. so i feel like now i'm ready i've got like my tiktok audios lined up i'm gonna oh make like God. i'm 
buzzing like it's going to be fun like just to have that after two years i think is going to be the best part like yeah the vibe of ruckus asian wedding is unmatched so you know it's just going to be unreal especially when it's like your own family wedding right yeah when it's close as well there's something about that like importance that i'm just like my god complex really shines yo trust me trust me me i'm the groom's sister me (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i hope you have like a really nice time and that it all goes well and Thank yeah, we'll be well. looking forward to seeing it all on Instagram. Um, for people that are here, obviously we're running a little bit late, but make sure you stick around for after the music break because we've got a very special guest. Um, Halima, do you want to give the lowdown on that, seeing as you're... Um, yeah, it? so we have got coming up um, a doctor, a, ban- a young Bangladeshi doctor called Rafia. Um, she runs um, like a, an a initiative called Amar Doctor, which in Bangla just means my doctor, um, where they focus on, um, as far as I'm aware, like um, teaching like Bangladeshi women, older, the older Bangladeshi women um, about like the healthcare industry, I guess. Um, educating them on healthcare issues and things like that she will be able to talk more about that but coming up soon we now have our special guest dr rafia mia welcome to the show thank you for having me you're welcome how are you i'm good um i've just moved to um birmingham to start my new job so i've just been settling in how's birmingham how how are you finding it it's good. I love it. I'm so happy here. Um, I really I, like I Birmingham. Just... Sorry? I really like Birmingham. It gets a bit of a bad rep because of the accent. I don't know why. I quite like the accent. Really? Same. same. <laughs> I, yeah. I always say this. I, I think that Birmingham accent's perfectly fine. I don't know why people hate on it. Some One time someone said, <laughs> what's better, the Birmingham accent or silence? And they chose silence. <laughs> no, no, I really like it here. I chose Birmingham actually because um, I wanted to be in a more diverse area because yeah. I came from Southampton, um, and I'm so happy here. It's so nice to see so many different types of people. Yeah, yeah, uh, definitely. In terms of like the diversity of the city, it's sick. Like especially, like, you know, like yeah. Small Heath and Allen Rock. Like, have you been around? Have you explored around those areas yet? A little bit, yeah. It's so good. I'm, I'm just so happy to be in like a bigger town with see, yeah. so many more people. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, I'm glad you're settling in. You should. Have you been to Manchester? No. Have you visited Manchester yet? No, I've never been, but um, hopefully one day I'll, I'll come up. You definitely should because it's very. I'd say it's like they're very similar vibes. Like very, very similar yeah. vibes. It's, same, same but different. Same but different. Yeah. yeah. Better accent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that I'll agree on. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, so Rafia is a doctor, um, and I've seen you're working on like the COVID wards. How is that? Yeah, so I just started um, officially last week, um, and I started on nights, which has been a little bit rough. Oh, um, but yeah, I am on the COVID ward. Um, it's actually my first time working on a COVID ward. But I think this time round, um, because now that everyone's been vaccinated, mm. it's very strange because the people you see in hospital are actually mostly young people. Yeah. Um, 90% are unvaccinated people. Oh, crazy. Um, and you really see like how important it is to get the vaccine. Um, and a lot of people I think have have sort of thought that, you know, COVID doesn't really affect young people. Mm. You know, we're young, we're healthy, we're fit, but it can be like, there are people in the wards who are perfectly healthy, like marathon runners who mm-hmm. just end up having a really horrible case of COVID. Um, so that's, such a bab- that's, that's a- very strange. 
it's mm-hmm. and it's such a baptism of fire as well like to, to, to have just mm-hmm. graduated like it's your first placement and they just drop you right in the covid ward in a big city yeah um it has been a very steep learning curve but it's been good like i'm i'm really happy to be there and i think like a lot of being on the covid ward because there's not much you can do is just to spend time with people because people have mm-hmm. been there for months mm-hmm. and months and oh, months crazy. and so they're very lonely um Honestly, the best thing you can do for a COVID patient is just to spend time with them. Really? Um, yeah, I think it's it's really rough for people that have been in hospital. And I think only when you really see, because when you're outside with the you know easing restrictions, you can't really tell that you know we're in we're definitely in another Still in wave. A pandemic, yeah. You definitely can't tell, but when you go into hospital, you're like, this is we're still in the deep end. That's um, insane. That is so hopefully, things get better. Yeah. So Rafi has joined us today to talk about um, an, an initiative that she, I think you run it, you run it, right? Did you, did you find mm-hmm. it as well? Were you... Yeah, I did. I did. Okay. So Rafia has found and runs um, an initiative called Amar Doctor, which I just explained means my doctor in um, Bangla. Do you want to mm-hmm. just kind of like speak off your own back? Tell us about that. How did it start? Like, we just want to know what it is, yeah. what, what you guys do. Yeah, of course. Um, so I'm Bengali myself. Big up, um, big up. <laughs> I, yeah. Um, and so I've always really been interested in, uh, you know, Bangladeshi immigrant health because mm-hmm. I think that's like, um, I mean, it's an underserved community, especially right. in the UK. Um, and so I've always been, and I'm also very interested in women's health and I've always wanted to do something in that field. But it's hard when you're a student, you know, there's not much you can do i i was just a medical student mm-hmm. um but then i've been working with another organization called health pioneers look them up they're sick okay. um they basically work to empower young people in east london so this is like mostly teenagers and kids that live in east london and we do like a mentorship scheme to help people help kids get into university for medicine or dentistry and we do like other sort of projects to kind of get kids thinking about how they can serve their community. So um, we encourage them to come up with like a health project mm-hmm. and to work on that. Um, and we do all sorts of different schemes, like um, ones with nutrition, um, getting into university, things like that. So they mostly work in East London, but we're trying to branch out to, um, you know, further out in London as well. So I was working with, um, working with them. And um, I was kind of just talking about how I'm interested in doing something with women's health. And they were like, you should just do something and we'll support you. So um, they, uh, Health Pioneers really helped me start up the project, Mm -hmm. as well as another organization called ASDOC, which works in health education and making educational videos in different languages. Um, So they'll have like a video on, for example, the COVID vaccine, but it will be in like Gujarati, Punjabi, Malay, Hindi, like Somali, like loads of different types of videos, which mm-hmm. is really important because not everyone speaks English, of course. Um, so yeah, so um, with their support, I started up a project called Amar Doctor, which like you said, means my doctor in Bangla. Mm. And we basically, it's focused on Bangladeshi women's health, uh, specifically. So we do um, educational um workshops so they're online on zoom on different top different health topics and it's run by female bangladeshi healthcare professionals so 
um, doctors. We've also had like a virologist talk about the vaccine, which was, mm-hmm. which was cool. Our main doctor that does it is a doctor called Dr. Farah Farzana. She's amazing. She's actually based in Manchester, Bolton Yay. area. Um, she she's amazing. Oh, wow. um, so we do these videos and uh, we encourage Bangladeshi women to join mm-hmm. and we started up slowly so we did different videos on so we do relevant health videos for them mm-hmm. so we've done it on like breast cancer which is um mm-hmm. tab like a taboo subject so it's kind of a difficult topic in general uh we've done like domestic violence mental health uh the vaccine um different types of cancer and um over time, we've kind of grown a community of Bangladeshi women to start, you know, thinking about their health and trying to encourage them to prioritize themselves. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Because the one really um, shocking statistic that I found out was that Bangladeshi women, it's one of the only communities where women have a lower life expectancy than men. And that just is universally not the case because men tend to die before women for a number of reasons. But for Bangladeshi women, because we don't prioritize our health at all because yeah. you know they think so family yeah. completely, it's like a cultural problem mm-hmm. that Bangladeshi die, uh, women die first. Um, wow. and so I wanted to do something that's focused on women. Mm-hmm. So there's very little that Bangladeshi women kind of do mm-hmm. for themselves. And I want yeah. to kind of change that mindset. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's, it's crazy. Like everything you're saying is just resonating so much because um, mm-hmm. like you, you're not from the UK, are you? Like you didn't grow no, up in no. the UK, no. Um, no. So, so like this is, I mean, uh, to, be, to be honest, I don't even think it's specific to the UK. I think it's just like a very use, universal Bangladeshi woman thing, right? Like you're talking about how mm-hmm. they're just so um, not self-serving at all. Like they don't look after themselves. They're so self-sacrificial. Um, yeah. Uh, so I, I think like it's amazing that you've done this initiative. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to ask when you were starting up, what were like some of the kind of barriers to what you were doing? What, what were the difficulties in doing that? So I'm, well, the one thing is that I'm not from here. So I found it a bit difficult to find women and I don't have any family in England either. Uh So I was finding a bit difficult to find the women that I wanted to get to. And obviously we use social media, we use Twitter, Mm. but the Bangladeshi women in need that need these services are not on Twitter. They're not on Instagram. Mm -hmm. Um, So when I first started out, I kind of just reached out to different uh, Bangladeshi women healthcare students so mostly medical students and I was like can you try get your family engaged your social circles engaged we reached out to a couple schools and for example there's like some uh, I think she's like a year 12 student who's in a local school in East London and we kind of trained her to become sort of like um, like an ambassador for the program to you know reach out to um, her friends and her friends families because I think that's the best way to Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm access the people and you know tell them that we have this free program please join and the other thing that was difficult and I I was sort of hesitant about starting this whole thing was because it was online so I started this in August 2020 when we're in the middle of a pandemic um and obviously everything ideally it would be face-to-face but because of the pandemic I had Mm -hmm. to do it online and that's a whole nother barrier itself because um I mean a lot of Bangladeshi women are not used to using a lot of digital platforms like Mm -hmm. Zoom and, you know, sorting that out. So 
that was a bit difficult. And I thought, you know, no one's going to come. But actually, even if you have never used those sort of platforms, after you do it one time, you learn how to do yeah, it. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And in the middle of a pandemic, when everyone is so isolated, mm-hmm. if you know how to use Zoom, like a lot of, for example, this like 75 year old woman reached out to me and she was wow. like, I don't know how to use Zoom, but if you can just teach me, I would love that because, um, you know, there's a lot of like Islamic courses online. She yeah. was doing like a fitness class on Zoom oh as well. Oh my God, big up auntie. <laughs> Sick. Yeah, so once, you, once you learn, so a lot of these women, they just ask their like grandchildren or their kids yeah. to help them set it up. Yeah. And once they like learn how to use it one time, then they could join every week. And yeah. that's kind of how it happened. So not only did we try and encourage people to start thinking about their health, but we're also like, oh, you should learn how to use Zoom and mm. things like that, because mm. then you can keep up with what's going on in the world. Well, OK, so you know how you're saying, obviously, one of the barriers was they weren't aware necessarily in the beginning of how to use these platforms. Um, were yeah. the people in the community like responsive to this, this to this initiative? Because because obviously we know that Bangladeshi women generally are very self-sacrificial anyway. And like in my experience, they can sometimes be quite flippant about their health, you know, so not necessarily like they yeah. just don't see it as that serious. Yeah, so that that is obviously a problem. But the women that started to join, you can tell that they were curious to learn and they were a little bit interested to learn. Mm. And while we do talk about different topics, like throughout the sessions, especially Farah, Dr. Farah, she constantly tells women, like, you need to start thinking about this stuff. Like, this is really important. You should look after yourself. Mm. And over, I mean, everyone does to a certain extent want to look after their health because they want to make sure that they're around for their kids, for their families. And so we kind of have started to encourage people to have this sort of mindset. And also the way we do it is that we have this like, um, because obviously not everyone uses email. So we um, have created like a WhatsApp group chat sort of Mm -hmm. where women join and we send the link out there and we send out these flyers that are in English and in Bangla um, to women about each session. And because there's like a WhatsApp group, it feels more like a community. Yeah. And over time, you see the same women coming to the sessions. I mean, they'll be like once a month. Mm-hmm. And it's so nice to see familiar faces because you know that there's an interest. And mm-hmm. we tell people a lot in advance so that they can rearrange their plans and attend. And we yeah. try and make it, you know, not clashing with prayer time, for example. Oh. Um, see, that's, it's so but yeah, important. it is, it like, is difficult. Sorry? It's so important to get like someone from the community to actually do something like this because I know like for example the NHS have tried to do certain initiatives like I've seen um you know like translated videos for example like inform informative videos and all that kind of stuff but an initiative yeah. like for example you just said something that like could be dismissed very quickly you know okay we 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 try to make sure that it didn't clash with prayer times but someone not from the community or someone not like you know from that from the religion even would overlook something like that so so quickly right there's so many like cultural specificities that need to be taken into account when you're serving a community that as you as you have said have been underserved for so long um yeah I mean it's also like a trial and error like the first time I didn't even think about like the time we just set a different a, a specific time and then mm-hmm. after each session we try and get feedback and one of the women was like oh actually I couldn't go to the other half of the session because I had to go pray and I was like oh we should we should make sure that it doesn't yeah. clash with prayer time and then the, the other reason that I think that women are more keen to join is because it's led by a woman 
and yes. we only allow women to join so there are no men that attend mm -hmm. and we do so it's not just like a video for example is just you just listening but you can't have a say yeah whereas we have like so we do our session and then for half an hour or however long it takes we do like a q a session mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um and so women can specifically directly ask questions to the doctor mm -hmm. and i think that's the most effective um an important bit mm -hmm. of our session i mean the educational part is good but a lot of women just ask questions that otherwise they would not never ask their gp they would never ask a non-bangladeshi person and they would never yeah. ask someone who's not a woman yeah. so i think that's the best part that we have that kind of keeps women coming that the trust right the trust and the familiarity like the kinship yeah um that's that's mm -hmm. amazing um yeah. i wanted to ask about so obviously you've said part of the reason why this came about was because you were looking at like the statistic that you said that Bangladeshi women are uh, you know they die they have a lower life um expectancy than their, their male counterparts um and specifically specifically in the UK the Bangladeshi community are very um as you've said underserved we are like I think we have what one of the highest rates of poverty um like the, the 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 community is very very like kind of impoverished let's say and in general because you've you specified you focus on bangladeshi immigrant women right so and this is me just yeah. kind of generalizing um because obviously it's not the case for everyone but women are also not generally taught about healthcare when they're in bangladesh i remember like there was one time i was in like this village clinic and there was this woman and she was pregnant with her fifth kid and she didn't know that sexual intercourse is what creates a child she was literally yeah. pregnant with her fifth kid it's crazy um so yeah. doing so doing these workshops is there anything that like really stood out to you in terms of like the, the kind of nature of health education with within the Bangladeshi woman community like is there anything that was super shocking to you or anything that you've identified as a further problem that needs addressing so I think I mean at first I was this comes from a completely naive perspective because I didn't grow up here. Yeah. I wasn't, I was so shocked to see like the level of deprivation of Bangladeshis right. here, right. because if you really think about it, our parents, our grandparents are immigrating from Bangladesh and they're moving here. Mm -hmm. And we're associated with, like you said, like so many negative statistics, like mm -hmm. the mo some of the most like impoverished people, mm -hmm. a highest rate of overcrowding, mm -hmm. highest rate of child poverty, yeah. all of these things. And I was thinking to myself, like, imagine our parents are like leaving their friends, their family, everything they know, and probably a better standard of living and moving to this country where they now have to deal with all of this mm -hmm. just for better um, education and job opportunity opportunities for their kids mm -hmm. and if you see like the gap between our generation mm -hmm. so you know a lot of young Bangladesh I mean obviously not not uh, this is a complete um, I mean it's it's not for everyone yeah. but a lot of us have like higher education, yeah. multiple degrees, doctors, yeah. dentists, you know, all of this. But then our parents are dying early. Our parents are getting all of these preventable diseases. And there's this big gap between our generation where we're, you know, fluent English speakers, extremely educated, good jobs, things like that. But then our parents are kind of being left behind, specifically our moms. So that, I think, was something that was a red flag to me. And then when I looked at Bangladeshi women's health, there's almost no research on it. I could not find anything. Maybe like one paper from 1991. And I was like, 
we are such a big ethnic community here, ethnic minority community here, and there's very little research on our health, which mm-hmm. doesn't make sense, especially when we're suffering the most. Mm-hmm. Um, and in terms of like things that kind of surprised me during the sessions, is you, I mean, it's just things that you think everybody knows, and it's just not true. Like you, you kind of become aware of like the basic level of knowledge people have about health and it's maybe maybe for me again from a knife perspective because I have a healthcare background these are things I thought that you know it's just everybody knows but it's just not the case like you said that woman wasn't aware that sexual intercourse leads to pregnancy Mm -hmm. things like that happen all the time like a lot of women don't understand the concept of a period Um, and then a lot of these stigmatized topics anything to do with sexual health anything Mm -hmm. to do with you know, gynae health, that sort of stuff is never, never talked about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, even the fact, like, even when we did our breast cancer session, mm-hmm. we were encouraging women to self-examine. And that was a difficult topic to talk about because They're women just, just ashamed, they right? don't do that. Yeah. Yeah. Like the concept of bodily shame with Bangladeshi women is crazy. Like yeah. I see it with my mom all the time. Like her sense of bodily shame is, is, it's insane. And like, I have to try really, cause like I, sometimes I feel like my little sister, she's my younger sister. She's, a, she's 12. And sometimes I see her like inherit, her, inherit my mom's sense of like bodily shame. For example, like if I'm at home, she'll walk around after me, like covering, covering me up if I'm wearing like revealing clothing or something. And I'm like, babe, it's okay it's okay like it is it is crazy um and i think as well like we're talking like if we're talking about you know bang uh, uk like british bangladeshis we we have to also speak specifically about silities right because silities make up like um 90 something percent of the british bangladeshi population um so for those of for those of those of you at home who are not Bangladeshi, um, Silities are basically like, um, we're from the northeast of Bangladesh. So we're, it's like a specific region that we're from. Um, we have like our own language and stuff like that. Um, and it's very, very interesting to see the ways in which like this, the like regional context here in the, in the UK mirrors like the national context back in Bangladesh because also in Bangladesh, mm-hmm. Silities are... Um, quite like um ed- like education rates are not that high in select from mm-hmm. what i understand and obviously these are the pe- people often so the reason why bangladeshis in general are not that well off like um are, are one of the the poorest ethnic groups in the uk i think they are the poorest ethnic group actually with uh, in 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 yeah. line with black africans um is because the the immigrants ha- don't come from wealth so the immigrants mm-hmm. don't come from wealth. They literally come from impoverished backgrounds in Bangladesh, two impoverished backgrounds here. Um, so th- this idea of like health education is just completely alien to them, like in the first place. You know, it's not as though like they had it and then they came here and they lost it. These people yeah. just don't even have, they don't even understand the concept of health education in the first place. So I can understand like why it would be such a huge task, like such a big thing to... To, 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 mm. to tackle um but i think like that's what that's also why it's like obviously super important to do it yeah and you see like so many important diagnoses just mm-hmm. missed in women specifically like for example in various cancers there's mm-hmm. like lots of things you should look out for so yeah. you know red flags for any sort of cancer would be like weight loss would be night sweats would yeah. be 
changes in your bowels, just feeling unwell. And these are sort of things that would be completely disregarded by women. You know, they, people don't go to the doctor, especially Bengali women, unless it's like a complete emergency, which is a shame because it's free here. Like they're there to be there for you whenever you need it. But women just will not go at all. And that's why these sort of things are so underdiagnosed completely like for example I Mm -hmm. saw this woman right after I started this project I saw this woman in hospital Mm -hmm. and I was working in like the liver ward sort of which Mm -hmm. is mostly like alcohol related stuff and I saw this Bangladeshi woman which was so strange because she clearly does not drink alcohol and she was there and the reason she was there imagine she has been in this country for 50 years she's Mm -hmm. not registered with a GP she's never been to see a GP and she had um, a type of liver cancer as a result wow. of having a hepatitis C for over 50 years. So in Bangladesh, she got it. Oh, my God. And it's been undetected she, um, for 50 years. Undetected for 50 years. Oh, my God. And she got it sometime in Bangladesh in her 20s, oh um, most likely like during labor or something like that. Mm-hmm. And 50 years later, she's now suffering from something that could have been completely prevented if she had gotten a blood test by her GP, for example. Mm -hmm. And it's so frustrating to see her there because she's there with a preventable disease. She's not speaking the language. Mm -hmm. Um, She she doesn't want to be in a ward where maybe she doesn't feel like her modesty is completely respected. She has trouble with eating the food there, with understanding what the doctors are doing, with Mm -hmm. giving consent to procedures, things like that. Mm -hmm. And you think to yourself, like, no wonder people don't want to go to the hospital because... It's such yeah, an alien thing. Around. It's such an alien thing to them. So we was we so we've just been obviously talking about um Amar Doctor and Bangladeshi women. Um I wanted to talk now a little bit about how because obviously we were speaking about the reluctance that Bangladeshi women have from themselves to go and see doctors and, and you know, seek medical attention. Um, now, working in the NHS, I wanted to ask if you could offer some kind of like perspective on I, I don't know if you've ever heard of like Miss BB syndrome. Um, yeah, I've heard about it. Yeah. It's um, so it's kind of is that the generalized pain that's um, a lot of doctors kind of disregard as a mental right. health problem. Right. I, th- I think. And, yeah, um, I, th- I think it's just like basically a lot of South Asian, especially like eld- older South Asian women that go and um, just get dismissed, um, basically, because the doctors are like, oh, they're just dramatic by nature. You know, that's just their culture. They're just dramatic or they're exaggerating or they just don't take it seriously, which I mean, that is not even specific just to Bangladeshi women. I Obviously, they do it a lot to like black women as well or like South Asian women at large, like because, of course, we know the NHS is in my opinion so this is radio we have to say things like in my opinion (laughs) we have to say allegedly you know (laughs) because we're gonna get in trouble by ofcom but in my opinion allegedly the nhs obviously is racist um much like you know every other institution in the uk um from your like obviously experience as as a bangladeshi like woman doctor especially like how has that been for you like going into you know into the nhs and like yeah, I mean, um, I think it's a thing specifically with women and uh, non-white women. So um, there's some sort of, I don't know why, some sort of stereotype that um, one, that non-white women kind of exaggerate their symptoms or exaggerate their pain, which is crazy to me because the fact that they're even there mm-hmm. saying that they have any symptoms is a big thing because, you know, they have to overcome so many obstacles and reluctance yeah. and all of these things to even 
access a healthcare service. So the fact that they would be disregarded after getting there is very frustrating. But there's kind of this sort of idea that they may be um, exaggerate their symptoms or that they feel less pain. So for example, um, recently there was a study that said that um, black women are four times more likely to die in labor than white women. Um, and a lot of it has to do with um, their symptoms being disregarded. And mm -hmm. there, there's some, some sort of idea that, for example, black women don't have stronger pain threshold, which mm -hmm. is obviously completely false mm -hmm. in every single way. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, there's lots of reasons. I, I think, I mean, for the most part, healthcare professionals really try their best to do their job. And um, I, I would say that generally doctors and nurses um, don't want to or don't purposely disregard anyone's pain and that yeah. from what I've experienced that we do really try our best to attend to everyone as mm -hmm. much as we can mm -hmm. um but the facts are there that um ethnic women die earlier or yeah. you know their symptoms go un, un undiagnosed or completely missed yeah um I think a lot of it also has to do with just language so for example in Bangla yeah. The way maybe in our language that we describe certain symptoms for. So, for example, um, there's a so I worked in like um, these. I I work for a charity called Selfless, and we go to different villages in Salet. So, mm. um, what you were saying earlier, um, in a lot of places that have difficulty accessing hospitals, and yeah. we set up um, free healthcare clinics for people to come. Amazing. And a lot of times when they uh, when women came, they explained their symptoms in a way that maybe doesn't translate properly to English. So for example, um, we say something like, um, uh, how do you, so in Bangla it will be like, uh, it's not gatsu gatsa, it's like, um, it, it's, it kind of translates to my body is burning. Okay, yeah, yeah, or like, yeah, yeah. Something like that. Yeah, yeah. And it translates to like, it, it's kind of like they're ants. I'm, I can feel like ants or yeah, my body yeah, is kind yeah, of burning. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and mm -hmm. if you it, that's hard to translate in English it will come yeah. across as like your ants in my body or my yeah. body is burning and that's not something that's not one of the symptoms that healthcare professionals are like okay I can treat you with this yeah um, also another thing as well sorry to sort of just cut you off okay. but um, th there was another thing as well where I saw there were like renewed initiatives um, basically because where the NHS have tried to like or, or the organizations have tried to um you know include Bangladeshi women within the fold of like you know like healthcare education and stuff they've always done uh, things in the Bangla language but but obviously they don't realize like Sileti and Bangla are two different languages um and they're not exactly mutually intelligible either so a lot of Sileti mm -hmm. people don't know actually how to speak Bangla so they'll they'll, mm. they'll obviously put put in so many like so much effort and invested you know a lot of like resources and stuff to do these um educational initiatives and it just ends up failing because these stability women they don't understand so yeah i think i think yeah. in terms of that that language sensitivity that is like a big thing that is often forced like people just don't foresee it um yeah i completely agree even amar doctor is in bangla because um our doctors speak in 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 Bangla and we yeah. haven't done any sessions in Sileti, for example. Mm -hmm. But um, 
see that's like another example of how maybe we're not so the women that do attend ours they most of them are Saleti and they happen mm. to understand Bangla but surely there's loads of women that find it yeah. difficult to communicate or they don't understand Bangla because it's mm -hmm. a completely different mm -hmm. language like yeah. I don't I don't understand any Saleti yeah. and you would you would a lot of people kind of think that maybe that there's some sort of like overlap yeah. but there really isn't yeah 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 they're very different languages and it's difficult I think yeah. as well because I mean, this is this is goes back to what you were saying before, like um, in terms of recruiting people to join in. It's not as though you can just make a Twitter account and that's it. People know because the Black Bengali community, Bengali society, is um, not very bureaucratic at all. Like it's very very informal. That people don't mm. necessarily kind of uh, they're not necessarily in the habit of like signing up to things and, and and doing things in terms of like documentations. You know, people are do things like word of mouth you know so yeah. to to get that word out I, yeah i understand like th like yeah. it would be it would be quite difficult to reach certain kind of like um aspects of a community in that way um yeah and i think that's also why it's so important to have healthcare leaders and more doctors and more healthcare professionals from ethnic minority backgrounds yeah. because often that's the only way that patients will um engage or they'll yeah. feel comfortable to mm -hmm, come mm -hmm. to you and also i think Bingo like for example me being a Bengali doctor I understand kind of the cultural context of people's health mm -hmm. needs and mm -hmm. sort of their health problems that maybe a white doctor won't be able yeah, to 100%. really um, understand and so that's why I think it's really important to kind of so going back to like the um, uh, health pioneers and their project of kind of engaging more young people from East London of uh, most of them are of ethnic minority backgrounds to you know, think about going into medicine or sort of leadership roles because you need people like that in the community yeah. to engage everyone else and make sure that everyone else is being looked after. Um, I think I think as well, it's just important really to think about how healthcare is is first and foremost, it's a very like community endeavor, right? Like, and and doctors mm -hmm. are. I guess in some ways you can say like philanthropists, like you, we need to, it's not just a case of like science and scientific research and medical research. It, you have to be very, very community focused. You have to be very, very community sensitive. Um, and, I, and I think that's like a brilliant, amazing thing that Amar Doctor does. It's, it's noticed and it's, and it's looked at this, you know, this, this niche where Bangladeshi women are obviously, like you said, are being underserved. And there are so many like sociopolitical kind of um, uh, markers that, that underpin that specific thing. And you've gone and you you've done this amazing thing and as a Bangladeshi woman like I don't I didn't know you personally before this but like I was already like mm -hmm. I, I remember seeing it during the pandemic actually because I was going to sign my mom up to one of the things um <laughs> and and I remember seeing it and I was like this is actually sick like it's sick because as someone who uh, you know also really cares about the women in our community it, this needed to happen and I'm so proud and I'm so happy that you've done it and I'm like rooting mm -hmm. for you guys completely um we have to wrap this up but just before we do I just wanted to ask what is the future of Amar Doctor? Like, where, where, where do you envision this going? So we're hoping to continue doing our workshops for women, continue growing our community. So um, like I said, we have like a small little community of maybe like 80 women on the WhatsApp group. But 
um, hoping to expand that and we're hoping to not just engage women in the UK but in other countries as well that are interested in learning about their health and hopefully we will do some face-to-face -face sessions and face-to-face -face, like maybe like pop-up health clinic sort of yeah. things as well um, you know hopefully when um, you know COVID gets a little bit better and it's safer to do that because yeah. the last thing I want to do is to put people in danger but mm -hmm. that's that's the goal I just hope more we can get through to more women that need to learn a little bit more about their health and I hope that people sort of start to change their mindset that yeah. they're also important and they need to look after themselves and put themselves first. Rafi I will say so I'll, like so my dad is actually like the chairman <laughs> my dad is the chairman of like the great great manchester Bangladesh association so oh, he's, yeah. he's basically like the chairman of all the bangladeshis in the northwest um yeah. so if you wanted to like you should definitely like i could get you in touch with him and you guys could like it would be very very easy for him to sort something out like if you wanted to like branch out into the northwest and something like that but i mean we could message about that like behind the scenes but, but um, yeah yeah, and, and for, for anyone listening that wants to maybe get involved in Amar Doctor, how can they do that? So they, I mean, the best way, so what I've done is kind of ask people to just message me directly um, or, you know, reach out to me on social media. But of course, if they don't have social media, they can literally email me, message me, text me, and I will respond to everyone uh, individually. So what, so what are your social handles and email? So they can find me on Twitter. So I'm Rafia, R-A-F-I-A underscore Mia, or they can uh, call me directly. I can send you my details later. Okay, brilliant. So yeah, so, yeah if, if you guys don't have social media and you want to get involved, you want to get in touch, um, you can go through Mango Masala. Just yeah, send yeah. us a message and we'll forward. Yeah. Um, because if God in issues, she's not just gonna give out her phone number. But yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So, so thank you so much, Rafia. Thank you so much for thank coming you for on. Having me. Thank you so much for doing this in the first place. For doing Amar Doctor, like I said, like it's amazing. Okay. I'm like I'm so proud. I'm so happy that you're doing this. Um, and mm -hmm. I and I hope you just continue to be able to make impact in the community because you know it's it's so needed. Thank you very much for having me. And good luck with everything. Cheers. So to wrap things up, we're going to play the latest first, man, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Mango Masala. Until then, see you Thanks next time. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Bye.